the story behind the story. I'm grateful that Matt was able to kick off a message series uh, that we're doing on Genesis uh, 1 through 11, which if, you re- if you've ever uh, read the book of Genesis, and if you haven't, that's okay, uh, you know that the first 11 chapters are just a slowly unfolding train wreck. And then the chapters that follow that from Genesis 12 all the way to Revelation to the very end of the book are God's way of saying, I'm trying to put this back together again. And one of the things that emerges in the story is uh, a big question that I think, uh, actually a couple of questions that we bring into this room. And they have a lot to do with what we're facing out there. And I want to address those questions today uh, as we meet together around uh, this story as it emerges out of Genesis. Uh, In Genesis uh, um, chapter 2 and and chapter 3, some pretty interesting things begin to happen. And if you've never read uh, this, uh, maybe you you have the feeling that that I've had uh, on several occasions. My my, my wife and people that I hang out with are really into the Marvel Universe. You know anybody that's like that, that they are pretty much in tune with every offering from Marvel Comics that comes in the form of some very dramatic depiction on the screen? And I've seen a lot of them, but there's a few of them that I haven't seen. And I, I was uh, down in Atlanta with, uh, with Brian and Brittany and Tom uh, for a conference, and, and we decided we'd kill some time in between uh, some of the events that we were attending, and we'd go see this. And I have to tell you, it was pretty overwhelming. Anybody see Invent- Infinity Wars? Anybody familiar with that? Okay. All right. We got some big fans back there. And Curtis, I am so sorry about what happened. We were literally hiking up Stone Mountain. I had asked uh, Tom and Brian and Brittany, you guys want to go hiking? And they're like, awesome. So we went and uh, about killed ourselves. And then we're right at the very bottom and then uh, Brittany got the information and I'm like, oh man, that's brutal. But glad to see you're here. How you feeling? Are you good? Do you know what, do you guys know what happened after church? Curtis's leg decided it would disassemble itself on the stairwell. But they got you back together, right? And praise the Lord, you're good to go. You've been watching those Marvel movies? Did they equip you with any kind of... Just wondering. Okay, keep an eye on him, because we don't know what's going to happen there. But I do know you had a very concerned mother when that happened. And father. And they seem to be pretty relaxed right now, so it's all good. Knock on wood. Well, as, um, as we were watching this, there were scenes that came up, and I'm like, I don't understand what happened at, um, um, in Black Panther, because I, I haven't seen that one yet that's on, in, in the queue to watch. And there was a whole scene about how the whole uh, uh, storyline gravitated. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Thank you for your, uh, your spoiler alert. I'm just going to say this. It was dramatic, and it had a whole lot of backstory to it, and I had no idea what was going on. So I, um, I'm sitting there watching this thinking, I wonder what happened in the storyline in that movie. And I didn't have anybody around to, to ask um, close by, because we were all in a big theater that had lots of room, and we were all spread out. 
But I'm just guessing. I'm wondering. I'm curious. And and uh, so now you know we're we're getting ready to watch Black Panther with our family and 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 and, and put all of these pieces together because they're not it's not fitting together yet. And I take that same experience and I apply it to reading the Bible. And I discovered that there are a lot of things as I read it that don't really make a lot of sense until I read the first 11 chapters. And we thought maybe we could just give you the story behind the story because when you're aware of what happens in these 11 chapters, the New Testament makes a whole lot more sense. And everything else that follows makes a lot more sense. And as uh, God has somehow providentially converged Mother's Day with uh, the fall, which involves Adam and Eve, I'm thinking, oh man, I'm, how am I going to blend all of this together in a meaningful way? Because it's not necessarily flattering for Adam or for Eve, and yet I want to keep it upbeat for moms and for every female in the room. And so by the grace of God, we go forth. As we look at this passage of scripture, though, I, I want to think for a minute about what you saw on the screen just now. You have two genders. One who is one couple of guys who do not have the ability to see the world through the lens of a mother. And then there, there are mothers in the backdrop who just are able to do this responsibility second nature. And what emerges in this story is how... They just see past one another and talk past one another. And maybe if you're a mom, you've had that experience with your kids, with your, with your spouse. And you wonder, where did that come from? And as we read the Bible, we find that there actually is a message in the storyline of those first 11 chapters that indicates to each of us, this is why there's confusion. Now let's just look at... Uh, Pick up where Matt left off, and I want to start with uh, the end of chapter 2, and then move on into chapter 3. Uh, in, in chapter 2, it, it, it concludes with, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And then the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And... Adam, I don't know if he had a category for death in his mind right then and there, but I think he knew the gravity of the, of the, of the command. And so that weight being on his shoulders, we find something happen immediately after that, which disrupts everything that God commanded there. So we pick up in Genesis 3, uh, 1. And if you have a Bible, please uh, take a look and follow along with me. Um, but if not, we'll just read it up here on the screen. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. The Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say that you should eat, you should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You must not eat from any tree in the garden, rather. And the woman said to the serpent, uh, We may eat from the uh, from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Whenever Adam is given this exhortation, uh, there's a little bit of a breakdown in how she described it. She describes it as just that tree in the middle of the garden. But where the conversation picks up is when the serpent says to the woman, you'll surely not die, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God and know no good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable 
for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All of a sudden, a whole lot of things just happened. And it doesn't really describe the full extent of what just happened in that moment. But it seems like there was a conversation that was occurring between Adam and God and and, and also by association, Eve as well. Adam being given the direct knowledge that you can do everything you want, that this whole place is a gift to you and is bundled together in such a way that it's filled with promise and discovery and potential and goodness. Only one thing, there have to be some ground rules. There's a, there's a boundary that you cannot cross, otherwise the whole thing just falls apart. And not knowing what it means for something good to fall apart like that until it falls apart, Adam had shared with his wife, God said we just can't eat from that tree over there. You good with that? Okay, I'm good with that. Well, time comes, tempter shows up, test occurs, temptation happens, and she fails. And as it unfolds, we didn't read what the nature of the conversation was, but it was the beginning of the end or intelligent conversations, and well, maybe it was the maybe it was the continuation of of the end, perhaps, of intelligent conversations between men and women. Because rather than take responsibility for how this whole drama unfolds, both of them began to point fingers and to blame and to sort of shift responsibility to other parties. And if you have been in a significant relationship with another human being that involve some pretty intimate details of your life, you know this happens. At best, it's misunderstanding. At worst, it is intentional deception. And everything in between. And when we look at this story, we see an explanation for why it doesn't work. Why husbands need mom goggles. Why, why, why moms sometimes have frustrations with their husbands and everything in between and as I look at that it is a little bit of a depressing picture just in and of itself but I'm grateful that on the other side of this is a story that I think many of us are familiar with that helps us to maybe bring it back on the rails again but all of that that you saw basically bottom line is there's a voice that brings life And that voice is from God. And God says, this is how it's all laid out. If you honor what I say, it will go well. If you don't honor what I say, it will break down. And then there's another voice. And that voice says, yeah, God, he's pretty clever, isn't he? He set you up. He basically said, there's a whole lot of wonderful stuff over there, but you can't have it. And that voice says, you know what? Just disregard that voice. And, and listen to what my voice tells you. And the serpent just basically laid it out and said, he doesn't want you to know, does he? And she's like, what? All that stuff on the other side of that fruit. What stuff? Oh, if you eat that fruit, you will know what stuff it is. Now let's just hit the pause button for a second. 
you're given everything. You're given the planet. You're given the garden. You're given all of these potential wonderful things to fully enjoy. And yet inside of you is a little voice that says, it's not enough. It's not enough. You need more. And all of a sudden, the voice that says, oh, there's so much more, is actually translated into, your life's pretty lame, isn't it? What you're experiencing now, it's below average. The grass is always greener over there, and you should try some. And if you've ever followed the the pastures to greener grasses, what happens? Well, it's the same song, second verse, different people, same pattern. Over and over and over. The culture that we live in actually loves to play along. I think that one of the big questions that you bring into this room is why is everyone so lonely? Why is it that we have a crowds of people no matter where you go and we have groups online and groups here and groups there and yet we just feel so disconnected? Why is that? And I think when you go back to the garden you find that there's a reason why we can be in a crowd of people and feel like the emptiest people in the world. And the second question that we're going to emerge into after that one is why is everything so frustrating? If only I just had something a little different that maybe would take the frustration out of it. If only I would follow those greener pastures that are over the horizon. And it basically set you and I up for discontentment, for loneliness, for frustration, and for isolation. Listening to that voice there. And as the story is told to tribe and clan and family and nation over time it's the same thing my life just doesn't work my relationship with my spouse doesn't work my relationship with my kids isn't what it should be I don't mind going to work it's just the people that I have to contend with that make it so awful now I'm not saying that about my co-workers by the way but just how we conceptualize all of this and as Adam and Eve begin to follow this other voice the law of unintended consequences unfolds in such a way that they they really just aren't even getting along and I think God showed us that picture to say this is what happens this is why it happens but there is an answer and I could fast forward to the end of the message and say here's the answer but I want to go I want to work through this with you a little bit Because as we look at the discontent in not having enough, we look at the loneliness that happens when we start pointing fingers at each other and we see the breakdown, we realize that, yeah, things aren't as they should be. Did you know that when people went to fight the Vietnam War, that a fair portion of our soldiers got hooked on, on heroin? And a lot of them came back, and interestingly enough, many of them came back and they just laid it aside, and they just kept going with their lives. A few of them got caught up in it to such a degree that it began to really undo their lives for the rest of their lifetime. 
And did you know that there are a number of people who go into the hospital and for six to eight weeks, they have an IV that is just dripping, either coating or Oxycontin or some variation of, 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 a, of a narcotic. And yet, many people get unhooked from the IV and they leave and you would think, oh man, they're hooked now. But they find that when they go back home, they, they leave it behind. Turn the page, move on, new chapter. And people were asking the question, why is it right now that we have such an incredible mortality rate connected to opiates and things like that? Why is it that people are dying in droves like they are? Why is it that even in Salem there's at least a death a week that's somehow connected to that? Why are these things happening? And some psychologists began to look at this pattern and they said, Let's just tease this out a little bit. So anytime you need to tease something out about humans, what do they do? They go find some mice and they start doing some experiments with them. And one experiment that they did with the mice was this. They took a water bottle and they filled it full of water and they took another bottle, water, another bottle and set it next to it and they filled it full of uh, a variation of heroin. And then they basically set a whole group of mice in there and uh, so much so that the, the mouse that they were focusing in on uh, behaviorally interacted with all of them and including one of them became uh, his wife. So if you can follow me on that, then you'll kind of know where this is going. And interestingly enough, guess which bottle of water the mouse drank out of? Now some of you are thinking, wife, narcotics... That's not where I'm going and that's not where I should be going. Where we're going with that is, is drink water. They don't need that other stuff. And that water bottle that was filled with narcotic was just left full. But then you put a mouse in there by itself and they saw that immediately it would just go for the bottle that had the narcotic in it. And basically it would drink that into excess and eventually die. And they were saying, what is it about addiction that we're missing out on? What is it that is the magic bullet or the secret sauce or the, the unknown. And you know what it was? Loneliness. It was necessary for people to self-medicate and mice as well because loneliness is a killer. It destroys us in ways that we, we don't even see. It slowly just undoes us. And so we long for community. And God's design is that we are part of a community in such a way that we know his joy and his blessing and we don't need substitutes to manage our pain because we have supportive people around us. And if you go out there, you will find there are forces out there that say it's all about you. There are forces out there that say if you are part of a community you should blame other people for the problems that community is creating for your life. There are forces out there that say, if you're a part of this community, then chances are you're living in opposition to that community. And I would say those same forces are the very forces that we saw at work in this story. That there is a, there is a being that hates community because that being hates us. Because every time that being sees you and I, you know what he sees? Something special. The Bible says, and I don't know what you see when you, see, when you look at yourself in the mirror. 
And maybe you've been told a lot of negative things over the course of your life. And you're thinking, when I look in the mirror, I'm just not happy. But you know what God sees when you look in the mirror? He sees someone, and I'm talking about each of us. He sees someone that is made in his image. Someone that he takes pride in having been a part of the creative act. Someone that he treasures and values beyond anything you can imagine. And that's why that being that wanted to tempt Eve wanted to destroy Eve. He wanted to divide her very soul and divide her most significant relationship so she could no longer experience the joy and she would die a death of isolation. That being looks at you and every time he does, he sees God. Because there's something about you and I that God says is reflective of who he is. Ah, but here's the problem. Why do men need to wear mom goggles? Because we just can't see like they see. But should men always wear mom goggles? Or should there be a way that we can all get along and still be who we are? And when God looks at us, he says, I'm not here to break up your family. I'm not here to break up your soul. I'm not here to break up the community. I'm actually here to give you the means by which you can pull it together. And that's the other question. Why are things so frustrating? If you read the story continually, you find that there is um, there's some bad things that happen. There are four people in the party. There's God, there's Adam, there's Eve, and there's the serpent. And God has a word for all three of them. And one of the words that he says to the man and the woman is that there's going to be frustration and there's going to be pain. And every day we wake up and many of us, you know, will reach for a bottle of Tylenol for the pain. And then maybe after we get home from work, we reach for the bottle of Seagram's because there's pain relationally. And then everything in between we're saying, I can't cope with what this world is doing to me. It's frustrating. People are frustrating. It's painful. Relationships are painful. And I think that's why God said, I'm going to patiently spend Genesis 12 to Revelation 20, uh, 22 to show you how much I want to make it right. Now, if you're with us in the last series, you know Jesus went through a series of temptations. And they were a way of dividing his soul, dividing his relationships, dividing his community, dividing his connection to God. And in every turn, Jesus said, no, because the life-giving voice is not in these stones that I have the capacity to turn to bread. That life-giving voice is in the word of God. That is the life-giving voice voice that I have to turn tune into above and beyond everything else and unless I do I will not thrive and so and so serpent Satan Lucifer I can't listen to you because you hate everything that's good and God's given this whole thing as a gift to everyone that's made in his image and I'm going to show them the way that they can begin to experience it you ever give your kid a gift 
and you're all excited about it. You've spent time thinking about what it is that would really just scratch their itch. You, you research it, you purchase it, and you wait for that day that they open it up. And when they do, they open it up and you're like, and they're, they're like, They sit over there and they're like, that's really nice wrapping. That's a nice box you put that in. That's a nice package. And it's like, they're sort of indifferent to what it is that you invested so much to see them enjoy the pleasure of what that could bring to their life. And God looks at us and he says, I have, I have, I have, I have, created so much for you, but you're so misled in your thinking because you're listening to the wrong voices that you can't enjoy it. And Jesus came so that we could realign our hearts with his because he gets it. He knows pain, the pain of a bloodstained cross. He knows the frustration of followers who abandon him. He understands all of these things in such a way that we cannot come to him and say, God, you just don't understand. And God says, I do. And I did this for you and for us and for God. Because I want the community to be restored. And the only place that it can begin is with me. You ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Imagine everybody just embracing that posture in every conversation. It would be like, well, you know what? We'd actually get along. And it wouldn't be just we have a series of mandates, but it would be the Holy Spirit inside of us bringing life out. And you know the one thing that I really like about this passage that even though it's so negative is what it says in verse 20 about Eve. Because a lot of us look at that situation and we point the finger at Eve and we say, that wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for her. But a lot of us in this room can say on this side of it, whatever lessons needed to be learned. And many mothers have, there's this life-giving posture that's been reclaimed. And many of us in the room are here, let's be honest, because we had nurturing mothers and nurturing grandmothers who all they wanted to do was to see us thrive. To see us find joy. To be able to know life and life abundantly. Does anyone have their Bible open to Genesis 3, verse 20? Anyone in here? What does it say, Rachel? Shh. Oh, no. I wasn't saying shh. I was just saying, keep going. Yeah. Okay. She was the mother of all that lived. She was that life-giving presence. I mean, let's also be honest. How much work does it take to be a dad? I mean, biologically. Not much. (laughs) But what happens then? The mother begins to just bring life out of that in such a powerful and dramatic way. And then she painfully has that child only to understand that that child is 
a bundle of potential that is unlocked by love. And when that love unlocks it, the kid thrives. And a mother also probably gets instinctively, not only do I want to bring life to this, but I, I want to bring emotional health on every front. And you know that when babies are disconnected from their mothers right after they are born, they suffer something called separation anxiety, which incapacitates them to be able to connect, to love, to show empathy, to have an awareness of anything beyond that because they are constantly never trusting anyone because they've never learned to trust. But the children that have had all of those things begin to grow and they begin to thrive and they begin to have health. And what God said as I end this message is this. I want to create an environment unlike the environment out there. I'm going to spend a lot of time building the foundations for Abraham all the way to Jesus, all the way to us through the Holy Spirit. And I want that environment to be the place that what was lost there can be restored so that we're no longer lonely. We're no longer as frustrated, but rather we are able to work through the frustration and a pain that, interestingly enough, on the other side of it, oftentimes it's even better. God says, I'm going to redeem this as much as I can because that's how much I care. Now, a lot of us, we have our brokenness. We have our issues. We have things that we're sorting through. But we've been walking the path long enough to know that the answer is in him and that the loneliness is subsiding to relationship and the frustration is emerging through perseverance to joy. And we see something we never saw before. Because not only do we have mom goggles, we have God goggles. A bloodstained cross that says this is the way. This is the way back home. And I wonder, have you taken steps towards that bloodstained cross so that God can look at you and say, welcome home. I've been waiting for you all your life. And my church is that nurturing place where hopefully the people as they gather have one concern, that you never have separation anxiety, that you grow and thrive and you become who you need to become. And if you're part of the church alongside me, that's who we're called to be. Because that's what people are facing out there. And so church, be the church. And for those of you who are not part of the body, we're here for you. This is the reason why God put us in this place. And we'd love to have you become a part of this family as God calls you. And as he begins to woo you into that relationship. You've been listening to the wrong voices for so long. The fruit of it may be creating anxiety and fear and uncertainty and even chaos. And if those things are happening in your life, Jesus is over here saying, follow me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I am the living water. 
I am the source of everything that you need. I just want to lead you to that source. Can we pray? Can you bow with me? Father, I just ask that everything that I've said, hopefully, is in alignment with your purpose. I pray, Father, as I've prayed for hearts here before even people came in, that there would be a, a reception to you, not just anything that represents me, but rather me a signpost to you. We see your word as life-giving and a source for everything that we need. And we trust, Father, that as you are the voice behind those words, that you are trustworthy. I pray for every heart here, that each heart would be fertile soil for what you're doing in us and through us. And I pray that the posture of each life here would be one that leaves here in a posture of hope and trust and belonging because of your son Jesus. Thank you, Father, for saving us and making us a part of something so special. In Jesus' name.